Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I am your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I have with me Saskia Carr, who is a mindset, embodiment, and intuitive eating coach who is focused on helping anxious women reconnect to the wisdom of their bodies so that they can improve their relationships, set strong boundaries, find confidence using their voice, and eat without guilt or shame. Saskia also happens to be a former client and friend, and I'm so excited to introduce her to you. So welcome, Saskia. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Yeah. I'm going to have you start just by telling me a little bit about your own story and the work that you do. Yeah. So I had a very disordered relationship with food for over 20 years. I thought that I had a quote unquote healthy relationship with food. And I think I was always known as Suskia, the healthy one and Suskia, the mm. big one. Um, but actually, once I realized that it was disordered and I started learning more about it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this has got some problems. <laughs> so um, initially, when I started my Instagram account, it was just for me to share my story and also to have a place where I could actually connect with other people in this space because obviously when you start, you know, reassessing your relationship with food and your body in this culture, it can feel really isolating. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, and so that's how it started. But then I became so interested in intuitive eating and I just could not stop reading and consuming information. And so from there, I actually totally shifted my career path and retrained as an intuitive eating counsellor and a mindfulness meditation teacher, and then did a life coaching certification through IPEC. Yeah. Thanks to recommendation. <laughs> That's my coaching cert in case anyone is curious. Um, yeah. yeah. And then I know that it's been evolving. Um, what do you mostly help people with now? Yeah. So I still definitely help clients around healing their relationship with food and their body. However, something that I noticed when I was working with my clients is that most of them or the large majority also suffer from anxiety and mm. sometimes even when or should I say often even when we remove the anxiety around food and body image stuff yeah the anxiety is still there and it often just finds another place to go and spin and that yeah. was my experience as well so I help women and, and all folks actually, um, around food and body stuff, but also around anxiety. And at the moment, I'm leaning towards working with people around anxiety within their relationships. So in your experience, both personally and with clients, the anxiety was the sort of underlying root cause of the food and body image stuff like the anxiety body anxiety food anxiety whatever when you were dealing with just that you would run into the underlying reason or cause being just sort of default anxiety mm, yes and I think for me food and body stuff was a coping mechanism to deal with 
feelings mm. of control. And I, I realized that because when I stopped controlling my food and stopped being obsessed with it all, yeah. uh, I would have to actually be with the anxiety. I remember, you know, Sunday nights would be my time to like plan for the week yeah. and I would think about all my food and how I was going to do it, quote unquote, right. Yeah. And how many I was going to exercise. And so it was this sense of, okay, I'm feeling anxious, but I won't actually sit with that. I will just work out a way to plan. Yeah. So I, something I just, I'm, I love about this conversation and this story, I think is so powerful is how many people really do use um, sort of behavioral stuff around food and body. Uh, it's almost like the body image issues justify the behaviors and the behaviors are the whole point of the thing because the behaviors give you a feeling of control. They give you a feeling of um, almost like empowerment. Like I have something I can do. <laughs> like there's, there's all these reasons that it serves a person to struggle with body image if those coping behaviors are what they're relying on. So tell me a little bit about that. Like the um, control aspect how did that play a role? Mm. Well, something interesting just came up for me when you said that is that at the same time, my food and body issues made me extremely anxious. Because, <laughs> right, right. You know, like I would be lying in bed thinking about all the things I'd eaten that day and almost mm. like adding them up in this internal spreadsheet and then planning the next thing. So whilst it was a coping mechanism, that yeah. made me feel like I was in control. It was really an illusion of yeah. control and didn't actually do anything to deal with the anxiety. It actually made the anxiety worse. So, of course, yeah. <laughs> I do sometimes say this to clients where I'm like, so it's making you miserable, but it's also serving you. It can be both like 100%. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right in saying that it did provide something that felt, I guess, tangible. Like yes. I can sit thing because I thought in my mind, I am anxious because there is something wrong with my body. Therefore, right. if I fix my body, the anxiety will go away. Ooh, um, and this is <laughs> such a tempting and common little narrative. It's like, if you don't know why you feel anxious, but you just feel anxious, to not know is so much worse. And even if it makes you miserable to quote unquote, know that it's your body or whatever, uh, it also feels like, well, at least I have a solution. At least this is something I can do something about. At least this is, at least I can like name it. And that is absolutely a huge part of body image issues for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and I remember specifically saying to my husband, I'm anxious because of my body. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly, exactly that. I want to hear a little more about the control thing because I'm, I am curious in your experience, if all people who have sort of like the underpinnings of anxiety that is getting expressed in this way through body and food stuff, do they all feel drawn towards control? Like, is that, is that an always thing? Like, is this Venn diagram a circle or, or is it just like some people are drawn to the control and other people use it as a distraction or, uh, you know, a reason to feel some sense of clarity or hope? Mm. 
It's a good question. I'm not sure I can answer it fully. In, in my experience with my clients, it's usually around control or some sense of everything feels a bit shit. So if I can just get this thing right, yeah. I will be okay. Mm. So, I'm, you know, I'm sure it is different for different people, but with my clients, most of the time, uh, it's about control or about doing this thing perfectly or doing this thing right. Which of course you can't do. Of course you can't it do. It doesn't work. <laughs> But there is a temptation that it could be done. So it gives you something to always beat yourself up about. Blame yourself. Yeah. And and what's interesting, and I think I didn't realize until I was on the other side, is this idea that I had, which was, okay, if I can make my body look a certain way, then I will feel less anxious. But actually, when I got to that place, you know, my goal weight Uh anxiety was so extreme because then I was paranoid about maintaining it because I had decided this is the thing that's going to fix my anxiety and so now I'm here I've got to stay here because I've made this my whole sense of self-worth related to this thing yes so yeah so it was something I tried to use and it was particularly ineffective Yeah. So that's another thing I think it's so common. And I'm not sure how many people sort of realize this, like whether they've gone through it or not, the experience of sort of hitting the goal weight or reaching, you know, the thing that they had thought would solve their problem or or cure their anxiety or whatever. Um, But if you haven't gone through it, I think it's easy to imagine that when you get there, everyone's just like super stoked all the time. And it's not to say there isn't some validation. Uh, you know, there there are things that can feel good about it that come from, you know, people's like attention or praise or whatever. But most people that I've worked with experience something a lot closer to you, which is like the anxiety actually ramps up at that point because now there is like this intense pressure and fear and even like paranoia almost around like breaking the rules that got you here, falling off the wagon, like whatever it is starts to feel so scary. Like if I lose this, I lose everything. Yeah. And, and of course with that external validation, then that feels good. And so then you think, oh, and I'm going to lose that as well. So this sort of, yeah. I do this thing, I get a reward, I lose my weight, I get a reward. And so yeah. then also, um, I don't know if that always happens consciously, but sure, yeah. you know that that thing's going to be yeah. taken away as well. And that's true with aging too. I feel like a lot of people who uh, sort of fit more conventional beauty ideals and are really struggling with body image uh, stuff will cite aging as one of those things. It's like, okay, well, sure, I'm hot now, but like, it's all going to get taken away. Like literally it's all changing constantly. And there is no, you never get to a place where if that's, what's going to make you safe, you actually get to feel safe. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge because the reality is all of our bodies are going to change. Yeah. There's nothing we can do about that. So if our whole sense of identity and worth is tied up in that thing, it's a, it's a dangerous. Yes. Really, 100%. So going back to your story, so you did a lot of work in your own personal journey to uh, like strip food and body image stuff of their power. 
did that also strip you of the control behaviors? Mm, yes, in some ways. I I think a little bit some of those started to shift into other areas of my life. Mm. At the same time, I, you know, and you would experience this too, all the stuff you learn around food and body stuff, then you start to see lots of changes in other parts of your life. So I think because I was aware of how that control pattern worked, then I could notice myself when I'm trying to do other things like, you know, make the house really clean because if it was really Uh, clean, then I'll feel okay. Because, you know, I think I was more aware that I have a tendency to try and control external things where, when mm-hmm. I feel like I can't um, control or manage internal things. So yeah. it, it made those behaviours totally disappear, but the relationship to them became very different and I had yeah. a different awareness where I could kind of say, oh, here we go. Yep, it's just, it's just manifesting in this way. Yeah. And is that helpful? Some, you know, sometimes if it's a kind yeah. of, relatively harmless thing it it doesn't matter so much but yeah I think the awareness around it really changed yeah so how did that shift impact your own understanding of like what was causing what and the anxiety underneath yeah well that um yeah that's kind of a, a big part of my journey because you know healing my relationship with food and my body 100% improved my anxiety. I also stopped drinking. I haven't Mm. drunk for three years. And that was something else that really contributed to my anxiety. But Mm. even with all those things not there, the anxiety was still there quite intensely. Definitely massively reduced and obviously didn't have the anxiety around those specific issues. Sure. But it just kind of found somewhere else to spin so that's when I started to do more inner work and investigation around the anxiety more generally did it attach to new topics or did it just did you start to just feel it more like being a presence in your life Mm, it did attach to more topics but what I have noticed and I think this happens to a lot of people, is that for me, it's always been the physical sensations of anxiety come first. Mm-hmm. Then as a way to explain them or understand them, then I kind of run through my head and think, oh, I must be anxious because of this thing. So it it's like the physical sensations are there and there's a way to justify it or explain it so in that sense I would attach it to other things and topics but it wasn't necessarily about them I think for me it's the physical side of things that comes first how common do you think that is in general I realize like in in your demographic of clients it might be more common because this is like very specifically what you work with but compared to people who like the anxiety starts as a thought and then moves into the body what percentage would you say starts in the body, like what you're describing, and then it sort of moves into like a narrative to explain it? I think it's probably more common than we think it is. Yeah. I just don't know if we realize it because even going back 
a really long time in my relationship with anxiety, even before I knew anything about the way that anxiety presented in the body, I remember that I would wake up in the morning with a sense of butterflies and kind of dread Uh. and my brain would immediately find something. So in some ways I thought my brain was coming first. Of course. But actually it was like your body is sensing some sort of fear or dread or panic Uh and then you can always find something, like always find something. So I think it is probably more common than people think. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. And especially because so many people who struggle with body image are disconnected from their bodies, there would be absolutely no awareness that this was coming body first narrative later. It is so tempting to believe our thoughts and be like, well, I guess I'm anxious about the house being dirty, which like can totally also be a source of anxiety. But but the the base understanding is not usually, I wonder what's causing me to come up with this story. It's, I guess the story is making me feel bad. It, yeah, exactly. And I also think that the relationship between, you know, the thoughts and the body are just sort of happening together. And one is kind of making the other one worse as well. Yeah. So it's, it's hard, it's hard to know, but I know for me that actually learning to know how it presented in my body. And when I find myself spinning in my head to try and leave that part and actually drop yeah. it and investigate it physically. And that has been an absolute game changer in my relationship with anxiety. Amazing. See, see if you can put into words for me, because I realize it's kind of a tricky thing, but like, how do you know when you're anxious, if you're paying? So outside of just the spinning thoughts, how do you notice in your body that anxiety has come up? Like what data are you looking at? What information are you paying attention to? So I'm paying attention to the sensations in my body. And usually when anxiety is present, it's a an uncomfortable feeling. It's obviously different for everybody. For me, always been in my tummy, always. Mm -hmm. But for my clients, some of them get it in their chest area. Some people get it in their throat. And so I get a sensation in my tummy, which is like a kind of twisting, churning feeling and butterflies. And I've always thought that's the only place that it lived. But as I've done further investigation, I've noticed that it actually can move from my stomach area up to my chest mm-hmm. and then go into my throat as well. So, huh. it, so what I'm looking for is sensations yep. in my inside my body. So what do you do? now where maybe before you would have believed the thought you would have gone and like meal prepped or whatever it is now that you have this more embodied understanding of what's going on you can go directly to the source what do you do next Hmm. so I do still think that the mindset work is really important so particularly what you're saying about just because you have a thought doesn't make it true and your thoughts are not facts And being able to investigate your thoughts and find reframes and more powerful or empowering thoughts. But 
I don't think that it is worthwhile to solve an overthinking problem by thinking about it more. Sure, yeah. It's also like a snowball effect. So once you start thinking, you think, oh, well, maybe I'm anxious about the house being dirty, but then actually I'm also anxious about this random conversation that I had with that person yesterday and Mm -hmm. it's going to continue. So what I do now is try and take a pause and a breath and just say to myself, okay, I can notice that anxiety is present in my body and actually dropping into the body. And I think some people just don't know what that means. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there are listeners being like, well, that's a nice idea. I wonder how to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's not necessarily going to happen like this right at the beginning. I will often place a hand on the place in my body where I feel the anxiety. So on my tummy, for example, and I'm actually really noticing the sensations, whether I feel tightness or constriction or tension or churning. And I'm like almost narrating what I'm feeling Mm -hmm. and breathing into that space where I feel that and really allowing it to be there because because it is uncomfortable. The tendency is to go, it's fucking go away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So even just saying, um, you know, I talk to that part and say, it's okay, it's actually okay for you to be here and stay with that part for as long as I can and just notice how when I do that, it often moves and changes because there is a tendency to think it's always there in exactly the same way. Uh-huh. But and it'll be there forever and you, and you have to change it now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I will do that and there are particular sort of somatic practices I use as well. Sometimes, of course, it might feel too overwhelming to stay with that feeling, particularly when you're not being supported by a coach or a therapist. There's also a part of finding the other parts of your body that do feel like they have a sense of safety and calm, whether that is your feet grounded in the floor or inside of your hands or your heart space or, you know, even just your arms or whatever it is so that they also have a place to go if that Mm. just feels like it's outside of their window of tolerance. Yes. I love both of these things because the first one, I know you're mindfulness meditation teacher, so it's appropriate, but like the first one is very much just acceptance of the present reality because no one on the face of the planet has ever become less anxious because they wanted to be less anxious. Like that's not how (laughs) feelings work. Whereas when you accept, okay, I'm anxious and you're really actually allowing that instead of rejecting it, like we reject so many things constantly moment to moment, like life shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't feel like that. Um, you really allow for something new to happen. It unblocks something and something new can happen. So the the energy shifts, the emotion changes, the sensation moves. So I love that, but you're absolutely right that the flip side of it is sometimes 
I mean, especially if you have trauma stored in your body or, or you're prone to things like panic attacks, like sometimes it's just too damn much. And being able to use embodiment practices like what you're describing to access feelings of comfort or safety or pleasure or joy, if that's available, is also super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And that first thing you said, it, it was one of the biggest things that I took away from my mindfulness meditation teacher training is I think the, the quote was something like pain plus resistance equals suffering. So yeah. it's like the pain is the shame you feel around your body or the anxiety. Yeah. And then you've already got that and that's already painful, but then you add the resistance to it and then you add the judgment to it. And it's just like, now the suffering has yeah. doubled or tripled. So oh my gosh. That, that welcoming and that really just being literally being able to say it's okay yeah. for you to be here is just such an incredible shift. But yeah. as, as you said, um, there is times where, particularly when trauma is involved, where it will become too much. And yeah. that's when you need to know, be, be resourced and you need to be able to move out of that or do that with the support of a safe person who you can co-regulate with and yeah. who makes that possible. Because for some people, and you see it on meditation retreats where some people just are not in a position to do yeah. that. It does not feel safe. And there's a totally. difference between something feeling uncomfortable and something obviously being re-traumatizing or yeah. really unsafe. Yeah, absolutely. So something that in this, it, it's all very resonant with the body neutrality work that I do, um, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here. But I, I haven't heard that quote before, but it, it is like very much embedded in my work of pain plus resistance equals suffering. Because I feel like ultimately what body neutrality is, is taking like pain or preference or sometimes both plus resistance equals body image suffering. And it's really about removing the resistance so that you're just able to say like, I don't like this or I wouldn't choose this. But you're you're like, so I, I sometimes think of it almost like giving consent for reality to be true, like, but it is a fact right now. It just is. And I'm not going to fight against that fact. And it does make so much more space and reduces suffering so much. And I do this with pain stuff as well, like physical pain, um, sometimes with clients, but also just in my own life. Like uh, one of the first times I ever had a really bad migraine, I spent hours laying there and like talking to my migraine, like giving it permission, telling it I... I, I'm allowing it to exist and it is okay. Sometimes I do this when I have cramps, like, because I know the more angry I am that I'm in pain and it's like interrupting my day and I shouldn't be uncomfortable, like the worse it all gets. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and it's so powerful to do that with yeah. pain. And I love your connection with body neutrality because that is, was so huge for me and for my clients where you're actually saying you don't have to like it. You don't right. have to love what you see. You don't need to love right. the aesthetics. All you're doing is accepting it. And sometimes we accept things that we don't like. I don't like to feel the anxiety. It wouldn't right. be my choice, but it is the experience. It is what is happening. And so yeah. there's a really different energy between going, okay, I don't love this but I'll accept it. I don't love the way mm -hmm. my body is, but 
it just is. Yeah. And that can be tough, but also very liberating as well. Absolutely. Very, very freeing. And I think the thing people wouldn't guess until they try this is how it also brings so much peace and clarity to the decision-making process of what you want to do about it. Like if I'm resisting the pain of my cramps and just like throwing a tantrum to myself that I'm like, I shouldn't have to deal with this, which trust me, I still throw tantrums about this. Shouldn't have to deal with this. I didn't ask for this stupid uterus. I don't even know what it's doing. Makes me so mad. But like when I'm able to sink into that, that acceptance place of, I don't like it, but it's here. I'm a lot more likely to take action. That's actually helpful. Like I'm gonna, you know, cancel something that's going on that day, take ibuprofen and then spend the day in bed. Like I'm going to do self-care that actually serves me rather than throwing tantrums and being miserable in the way that, like, I think a lot of people think acceptance equals giving up or not trying to make it better, but it, it actually makes it so much easier to do whatever you need to do with clarity and, and sort of peace of mind. Yeah. Yes. So, so true. And you're able to actually get your need, you know what you actually need and nourish yourself and take care of yourself because yeah. when you're in that space of anger or judgment about yeah. it, then all your focus is there rather yeah. than what can I actually do to make me feel better in this moment. Yeah. So something that's coming up as we talk about this uh, is like a really interesting thought, which is how often we tell ourselves the narrative that it shouldn't be like this, whatever the this is, right? Like this moment isn't how this moment should be. And there's something like hilariously, uh, I don't know, there's like a, a God complex in that, right? Like I know how reality in the universe should be. And it's not this, I know everything. And I decided it's not this. And there's something about, I think almost just like gaining perspective again, that happens when you stop resisting it, because then you're like, I don't know, it like acknowledges your position in it all, which is that you are not in a position to alter reality and no one asked you how it should be. And yeah. that's like very calming. It sounds like it would be a bad thing. And I'm sure for some people, it's probably uncomfortable to do, but it's very calming to be like, I'm just a person. I didn't pick all this. I don't get to choose all this. Yeah. Being a human comes with polarity. It comes with yeah. things that feel great and we want to cling to and those sort of things which don't and we want to push away. But as you say, that that isn't, the reality of life yeah. so there is something about realizing that all these things are going to happen whether you like them or not and yeah shift according to that something that just came to me as a way to explain this around emotions as well is that when my like my daughter recently did a picture and she didn't like it. And she was really angry at herself because I think she'd done this picture and then she added something extra at the end and that mm -hmm. like ruined the whole thing. And she was so frustrated and she was so angry and I could see this in her body. And so I said to her, it's, you know, that it's okay. Like it's okay to be really frustrated. Mm -hmm. And literally, as soon as I said that her whole body just went, oh, oh my yeah. gosh. How old is she? She's nine. Wow. Yeah. And so just the, the ability to know, like, 
oh, okay, it's okay. Take yeah. so much of the energy out around it because before that she was also saying, oh, it's just a picture. You know, why am I getting so upset about a picture? Right. And she so- was judging herself for feeling frustrated and you gave her permission to be frustrated and that took a major sting. I mean, I'm sure she, the frustration was probably still there, but it took the like extra piece of suffering out. Exactly. And, and I don't know about you, but I noticed with clients when they're doing body image work, particularly when they've been doing it for a while, they will start to judge themselves and say like, why am oh, I still yeah. why about my body? Yeah. I, I don't, don't know what's wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes just going, it's, it's normal. It's okay yeah. to feel shit about your body. I even think I have this in my book somewhere where I'm like, I, as a body image coach, give you permission to hate your body today. Like, is that counterintuitive to a lot of people? Sure. But like, it is also the only thing that's actually going to make you feel better today because that permission takes the extra suffering of resistance and judgment and all that stuff out so that all you're left with is like still uncomfortable. You don't like how you look or you have feelings about it or whatever, but it just instantly is like a relaxing, like you said of, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll just not like it then. Then I'll figure out what to do from here. But it's huge. It's so liberating. Mm, that permission is, you know, massive. In, yeah. in Buddhism, they talk about emotions as someone called Mara. And it's imagining like that you're inviting Mara around to tea. And so when you open the door, it's like, anger, you can come in and sit down. Shame, you can come in and sit down. Like yeah. you're welcoming all of these yeah. different emotions into your house without considering like good and bad food, really, without considering yeah. some options as good and acceptable and others as bad and shameful. So it's like this this allowing everyone to come around and have tea with you and yeah. with you really, yeah, makes things a lot easier. Not that they're yeah. not uncomfortable. Absolutely. <laughs> But again, it's like the layers of discomfort. You're just dealing with the first one. Like sadness is uncomfortable, but judging yourself for being sad because you don't think you should because you don't think the situation calls for it is like that whole extra layer you can get rid of immediately by doing what you're saying. And now you're just left with the original one, which is I'm sad and it's uncomfortable. I have a course, a self-study program that I wrote years ago, but I still use with clients and I still um, sell on my website called Make Friends With Your Feelings. And it's all about this. And it's occurring to me like in this moment talking to you that I should call it emotion neutrality because that's what it is. It's literally like, it's it's almost like emotion positivity, but uh, because it's like make friends with them, but it's also just basically stripping it of the stigma, the narrative, the judgment, the belief, the resistance, like Everything we're saying here is about being able to see them neutrally so that you don't have to have a whole extra burden of suffering on top of them. Yes. Emotional neutrality. I love. Yeah. Good, right? I'm going to Google that later. (laughs) Um, Okay. So out of curiosity, how was this realization for you? Like, how did it feel? I don't know. Like, like, what was it like for you to realize, oh shit, I thought the problem was my body and my food and blah, blah, blah. But actually I have all this anxiety living in my body. And now I have to deal with that more directly. Like, what was that like to realize? Um, mm, that's a good question. I, 
I mean, I think in some ways it's it was good to realise because yeah. I, I, I think sometimes what happens, I notice this for a lot of clients, is that once you, it's like the layers of an onion and once you kind of peel back these things that aren't serving you, like my yeah. relationship with food wasn't serving me, my relationship with my body wasn't serving me, then you get to kind of deal with the other stuff that's underneath. So in some yeah. ways I looked at it in a way where I was like, wow, if it hadn't been for me, removing these other things I may not have had the chance to do more deep inner work around this other part so it's like pulling back the curtain now you're dealing with the real thing there's something really very good and peaceful in that but also now you have to deal with all these other things exactly and and I may not have worked this out in the same way had I not done the reconnecting with your body that comes through the intuitive eating process Mm -hmm. because I was so disconnected from my body and I was constantly at war with my body and so over this time of intuitive eating and my body image work I started to build up a new relationship of trust again with my body and connection with my body and so that made it much easier for me to start then connecting with, oh, okay, this is how emotions show up in my body and the other stuff. So right, may not have got to the same point without that as the initial. Yeah. This is why I, I can never tell people how long it's going to take to go through the neutrality process with body image. It's like, well, that really depends on what you've got going on already. Like, what have you learned? What have you unpacked? What skills do you have? I mean, connecting to your body is a huge process. And even though it will help in the long run, it's also its own thing. Like it, it will help with body image in the long run. It's also very much its own thing. Yeah, and it really depends on your starting point. You know, yeah. I have clients who they have made a conscious decision from an early age to disconnect mm-hmm. from their body. It, it could be because, because of trauma, but it could also be because their body was a site of such pain that it was yeah. just like, nah, we're yeah. done. I'm going to go and hang out in my mind because it feels... Yeah a lot safer there and so really? as you say it's it's one of, and it, you know it's one of those questions you get asked all the time how uh-huh. long will that yeah like, oh, <laughs> I'll answer that one um but it's you know it's it's and it has to it has to be something that is slow and goes at your own pace there was a um oh my client had a, a quote recently and she said she was moving at the speed of trust in her relationship and I was like oh yeah Yeah. there's a tendency to think like okay got a problem with my body let's fix it (laughs) yeah yeah and you can't you can't doesn't work work like that just like it wouldn't in a relationship with anybody else like oh I guess I'll just trust them like be attuned to them uh you know be totally cool with them like no that's that's not how that works yeah exactly and you've you need to trust your body again but your body also needs to trust you you know when it comes to food like are you actually gonna feed me when I'm hungry like are you sure you've got to show me that a lot of times yeah. I actually believe that when I give you a message you're going to yeah. listen to my message and you're going to take action on my message and 
trust, like it is in other relationships, as you said, isn't something that just happens with a click of your fingers. Right. It's a two-way street. It takes time. It takes layers. Yeah. All of that is so important. I think when people start this work and want it to be like six weeks to, you know, overcoming body image issues, (laughs) there's, there's so much that goes into it. Like this is absolutely why uh, people want hacks and, you know, quick tips. And, and also it's why like body positivity ultimately didn't deliver the, the outcome that everybody was hoping for was like, you, you can't really just like snap your fingers and start loving everything you've got. It's a relationship. It takes time to heal it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, all of this that we've been talking about has a big connection to, I don't know if you've read about the avatar system that I use, but, um, so I have the four body image avatars. If anyone's listening, it's in my book, body neutral. Um, there's also stuff on my YouTube channel and I've talked about other places, Um, but basically each one is like a category umbrella term for what could be going on, like how your body image issues are serving you. So you kind of know where to start digging this one of being disconnected from the body, like lack of trust in the body, all of the somatic anxiety that you're describing being kind of, um, covered up by body anxiety or food anxiety, or at least like being sought to be fixed using body and uh, food control. All of this stuff is classic uh, runner, the runner avatar. So um, a lot of runners will identify not just with these behaviors and these, uh, you know, sort of characteristics and experiences, but they'll also have a lot of unrelated numbing and coping habits beyond like food and body stuff. So you mentioned drinking, and I'm just curious to hear a little bit, like, do you see that a lot in your practice that people have the food and body stuff? And then also a bunch of other ways to like numb, distract, stay, uh, basically stay disconnected from their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I think, I think busyness, I think busyness is Mm. one of them because, you know, that's something that I see a lot where it's like, it moves from body image stuff to like productivity. Like now my worth is about how much I can do or how many things I can get done on my to-do list. So yeah. yes, I think people, I mean, we we set up these behaviours because we think that they're going to help us. Yeah. So yeah, I do, I do think other people have these sort of behaviours. And once again, I think people think about these behaviours then differently. Mm-hmm. So I have had a client who um, healed her relationship with food and her body and then she was like, oh, wow, now I realise that I'm not really comfortable in my relationship with drinking, so she stopped drinking and then she had been on this pain medication for a very long time that she also realised was something that... So it is, it is um, you know, there are other behaviours, but sometimes it gives you the ability to go, oh, maybe that's another one of those yes. things doing that I think is supporting me, but actually yeah, supporting me. Totally. I feel like um, when I first, back when I was a personal trainer and, and not at all in this world, I was very much in like the diet culture type world at the time. Um, I made this big shift that I thought was so empowering uh, from like, doesn't matter how I look as long as I'm strong. And I put 
Basically, I moved every egg out of the body image basket and put it directly in the strength basket. And then it was like, I don't know, years later and I got injured and I couldn't lift heavy right for, for a long time while I was going through like rehab and stuff. And I was devastated to find out that all these eggs were just scooted over, not liberated, not dealt with or healed, just literally moved to a new basket. And I was demoralized and pissed. <laughs> But I was like, oh my God, I really thought I had fixed this. And here it is again. Yeah. And then it took a whole other unpacking and challenging of like, wait, wait, what is my self-worth based on? What do I want it to be based on? Like, I feel like we do this. And I do think it gets easier every time you catch it, but still not a fun thing to discover. Like, oh, yeah. whoops, I just scooted that pattern right on over here. Yeah, yeah, particularly, particularly when it comes to your sense of worth because you're like oh okay so I can't get that from food and body stuff not that I ever got it but I can't even imagine yeah. that I can get that so what other external things can I yeah. in my, you know sense of self-worth in is it work is it yep. you know, productivity is it you know all these is it relationships yeah so many different places and so that's why it's so important to notice it as you said and yeah. I think it does get easier I think you have a tendency then to go why am I doing this particular yeah thing? Hmm. so something that I'm curious about is like how you talk about the sort of shift to recognizing and being with and accepting and everything the somatic anxiety the feelings in your body that are basically what's underpinning the like spirally thoughts of whatever you know anxious thing your brain wants to attach it to when you work with clients how do you invite them to think about it or talk about it? And I think actually maybe that's a question. How do you invite them to talk about it with others? Because I think it's easy to like have a moment with yourself and say, ah, oh, I'm feeling anxious, but there's nothing necessarily wrong that my brain needs to fix. But I feel like when we talk to other people or if other people can tell we're anxious, it's extremely difficult to be like, oh, my body just thinks there's danger around. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Like people want a narrative. I mean, we want it ourselves, but even once you kind of find that in yourself, it's extremely difficult to communicate with others. So I, I'm curious about your experiences there. Mm, that's a really good question because I think it is natural for somebody who loves you to want to help you. Exactly. Try and fix it. I, I don't know necessarily in relation to my clients. I know with me that I have probably just become better at expressing it. So I'll say to my husband, to be honest, I think it's, I'm just experiencing anxiety in my body. I'm thinking that it might be about these things. I'm not sure it really is. And I, I don't, you know, I don't need you to fix, fix me. I just need yeah. you to know that I'm experiencing these feelings in my body at the moment. And yeah. so, yeah, I, and you know, some people, We'll get that. Some people won't. And I think you end up deciding who you talk to about these sort of things because sure. there are certain family members who are always going to be like, well, what's the problem? Like, let's yeah. talk. About it. Yeah. And, fixers. Uh, fixers would make this situation very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I have a tendency to do that. And so I notice with my daughter, even that like sometimes I want to help her fix it. Of course. All the things. And sometimes now I just do what I do with myself. So I'm like, where are you, where are you feeling it in your body? And can you just mm -hmm. it? and 
because same thing happens to her. She'll she'll feel it, yeah. and then she'll think, oh, I've got a test at school, or I've got this thing, yeah. and it's the same thing. So I think it's about understanding it yourself first, and then being able to express what sort of support you yeah. need another person in that moment. Yeah. I think there's a lot of like communication skill and boundary setting too, that if you are just getting a hang of like embodiment, somatic self-awareness, and you haven't yet learned all of the skills and the boundary setting, it can just be incredibly difficult to be like, I don't want you to solve this problem for me. I don't need fixing. Like that alone is like not how most people will interact with you. So I think it kind of goes back to what you said about this work feeling really isolating sometimes. People just not understanding as you gain such a bigger and bigger understanding of these things, it can be difficult to communicate to others and to help them know what to do with you, you know? Yeah, and I think it can also be very vulnerable. Like I remember yeah. when I first when I first met my husband nearly 24 years ago, I was incredibly anxious and very anxiously attached. And I went to this therapist and re remembering that we were 19 at the time. So he was a yeah, 19. Wow. And she was like, when you're like that, tell him you don't want to be fixed. Tell him you just want him to, like, you just want him to hold you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't ask. And <laughs> it's just like two, it's just felt like it was a yeah. new relationship too yeah. and I'm like that's just that's just like too much but yeah. I did and I I did this thing where she was like you have to be radically vulnerable at the expense of losing this person and if they are the right person then it, it's it's yeah. gonna work and so with the most fear I did this and he just did he would just hold me as I sobbed or I did oh whatever God out trying to solve it without trying to talk about it and in that moment I was like oh well, he's, he's he's a keeper <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that being able to and not not all we, all, we don't know all the time what we need right. but being able to also ask for those things which can feel very difficult to ask for yeah. or very to ask yeah. for. I sometimes tell clients that I, I have a common-ish experience in my partnership in which through locked jaw and gritted teeth, I will request something like a hug from my partner because like, I can't control what my body has just done in reaction to some trigger or, or fight or, you know, whatever it is. I can't unclench my jaw yet. I'm seeking, like, there's a part of me that just wants to like burn it all down and be like, well, I guess this is over, you know? And so it's like to, to stay with my higher self, the thing that's vulnerable, the thing I really want, I would like you to come closer and hug me. And like as ridiculous of a thing as that is, it does work because it is the vulnerability instantly like de-arms both of us. It takes us back to each other. It's so powerful. So powerful. I... I do that with my daughter too, where like she's just had a massive tantrum about something. I've really reacted. I've not responded. Uh -huh. I've reacted and I'm kind of letting it settle, but I'm still feeling aggravated. Yeah. I kind of just walk over and just grab her and hug her. And that just 
that physical touch with somebody yeah. else, that connection, it can really dissipate that. But there can be yeah. that resistance of like, sure. yeah, <laughs> as you said, like give me a hug. Yeah. Man, and that's something too, I mean, unrelated to anything we've been talking about, but just the power of co-regulation. I mean, I can imagine how the work that you do with people in relationships and the draw to that is so compelling and so important and powerful because, yeah, a lot of people don't know how to get what they need in a relationship. They don't know how to be vulnerable. They don't know how to identify it. Like all the embodiment work you do would translate so beautifully there. I can just see why that would be such a draw. Yeah, and also when you are more aware of your emotions and how they present physically, then you're aware of actually what's going on for you. So then you can say, you know what, I'm feeling really angry today and I don't know why and it's not about you, but that's just how I'm feeling. I can feel it. So I'm just going to put that out there that that's where I'm at or Mm -hmm. whatever it is or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm experiencing anxiety today and it's intense in my body so I just want to let you know yeah that sort of communication means that the other person then can go okay I understand yeah so I think the more that we have awareness and understanding of our own emotions means that when we're in interactions or in relationship with somebody else that we can communicate that rather than just feeling angry and then they do something small and we yeah. Fly off the and actually it's nothing to do with them probably. Right. It would also prevent my least favorite dynamic in a relationship, which is someone who is unaware that they are displaying a very particular body language or energy or whatever, but denies it because they're not aware of it. And so then I'm like, so I'm the only one in this house who knows you're mad. That sucks. Like, I need you to know you're mad because like, I'm not necessarily going to take it personally, but like, it is very frustrating to see, especially for highly sensitive people, empaths, when they are partnered with someone who is unaware of what they're feeling, God, that just creates chaos. Yeah. And, and of course, if, if you are highly sensitive, then you probably go through maybe it's something I've done right, maybe right. pissed off with me when actually if somebody could just communicate, I'm just having this yeah. feeling, just, just putting it out there. So you understand yeah. And you're right. If you can sense something about someone and they're just like, Oh no, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Nothing's wrong. When actually they're like, you- okay, well, my spidey senses are tingling, so I don't know what to tell you. Um, also, that that makes me think as well of the idea that in a moment where the other person is, you know, experiencing something like that, and you pick up on it, and then you make it about yourself, you like, you know, assume that it that you did something wrong, and they're mad at you, or you, you know, you get anxious about like what it could be about, right? You, you do that thing. Um, that so many people do, especially in partnership, it almost is the exact same thing we talked about before around body image and food stuff where it's like, I need a tangible thing. I need a narrative to understand this because there is a bad energy about, you know, and if I make it something I did, then I can make it better. And there's like that relief or empowerment or hope in that, that even though it's making you miserable, feels a little bit more tolerable than just they're their own person and I don't know what they're going through. Mm, and they maybe don't know what they're going through yeah. either, as you said, because they mightn't even be aware that that's yeah. how they're feeling. But 
yeah, I, I think a lot of the time people internalize that too. So they make up stories around yeah. why that's happening or they make meaning around it and they don't ask or communicate about it. And so sometimes someone might actually say, oh, actually, yeah, I just had a really hard day at work and I'm just in yeah. my head about work stuff. Actually, it's got nothing yeah. to do. So I yeah. think that, I mean, it's very human to want to make up stories and understand the world and, and form narratives and everything. But I do feel like there's something in this whole conversation that feels very like the pattern is across every area that we make up stories that even though they hurt us, they put us in some kind of control or at least in an illusion of control, like you said before. And that's so much worse for us. And it's also not usually true. You know, like most of the time people aren't mad at you, but it's very easy to go to that place and have a story that feels like tangible. Yeah and clear and like instructional. I have to make this right. Yeah. About things which feel so not tangible. Or yeah. Clear. Right. It's like we want, we want structure. We're looking for a way. Yeah. To and it's very much that stuff that we talk about all the time in food and body stuff is like you're living in the, getting that kind of more comfortable living in that gray area where Ooh, things. Change. Yes aren't in that binary category of like good or bad, like yeah. this is the reason or that. It's it's sometimes there's just being more comfortable living in that gray yeah. area, which is hard when you're not it used is. to living in that area. Yeah. And we're really never encouraged to. I mean, unless you're doing some kind of healing or growth or recovery or therapy work, like pretty much everyone's cool with literally everything having a moral binary attached to it. I mean, that is the default for sure. Exactly. Um, so before we wrap up here, I wanted to ask, cause I think this is a really, um, important thing to explore a little bit is for somebody who is dealing with a lot of somatic anxiety, who maybe runs into this at some point in the body neutrality or anti-diet journey, or they just figure it out in life and sort of recognize, oh yeah, I think I'm one of those people where it starts in the body and moves to the narrative. Um, what is like, what can you share about the underlying reason or purpose for feeling so unsafe all the time, because anxiety is basically the feeling like you're under threat, right? Hmm. Yeah. Like there's I mean, danger. Yeah. Like there's danger. I think it's, I think it's very complicated, but I do think that a lot of the time there is a younger version of ourselves that is coming. Hmm. So I often think that that there is a younger version who who felt scared or felt unheard or yeah. something like that or who experienced something that they were overwhelmed with and couldn't manage with at yeah. that time. So I do think that doing some sort of inner child healing or work around reconnecting with that younger self yeah. is, is really part of it. And, I mean, obviously there's trauma because trauma lives in the body yeah but sometimes you know it it's hard it's hard to know exactly what it came from you know yeah. it's not like I've ever been able to say oh this is the underlying cause of my anxiety I know that I am a really sensitive person I know that I have a sensitive nervous system I know that I kind of 
pick up on kind of nuances and emotional nuances around me really easily. Um, so, yeah, I think it's complex, but I do think that working with the younger self is, is really powerful. Yeah. Um, something else I've heard you talk about in this space is the connection to belonging and like the primal wired into our biology need we have to experience a feeling of belonging. Talk a little bit about what that has to do with uh, a person whose nervous system basically is on alert for threats all the time. Because yeah. I, I feel like that's essentially what anxiety is. Absolutely. Particularly when it comes to body image triggers because often um you know we might see ourselves in the mirror or we might see a photo of ourselves or a video of ourselves and our body is reacting from that place of like this means that I'm no longer going to belong or this yeah. means that people are going to judge me and no longer love me anymore and that comes from that really primal yeah. place and I know that when I had those sort of times, I wasn't like just in the moment factually going, oh, you know, my body's changed shape. It right. was this feeling like my yeah. full threat detection system was on high alert yeah. and it was reading this like something extremely threatening because it was like your life is essentially on the line because yeah. this is threatening to your, or there was a belief there, this is threatening to your sense of, belonging and lovability and connection with other people there was a real um and I know this happens to a lot of my clients where there's this belief that it will change their body changing will change the way that they connect with other people and that feels very very scary yeah I sometimes use like the the fear-facing work that I'll do with clients I'll sometimes call it like facing death because literally, no matter how silly the example, whatever it is that you have connected that primal meaning to of this will mean I'm rejected from my community. This will mean I'm unworthy of love. This will mean, you know, I'm going to end up abandoned, whatever it is. Uh, facing it feels like you're going to die, whether that means wearing shorts for the first time or, you know, like intuitive eating. It is death work. You are facing death. It's so uncomfortable and so powerful and liberating also when you go through it and realize, oh, I didn't die and nothing changed and everything's okay, but like so uncomfortable. Yeah, I remember you using, I've heard you use that before. I think yeah. you probably used that with me before. And I was like, oh yeah, it does. Yeah. It feels like death. It's not just like you're walking down the street with a pair of shorts on or whatever the example right. is. It's like, this is, it does. Your body is reacting uh -huh. like it is, you know, I don't know, something absolutely yeah. terrible is going to happen and you're yeah. about to essentially lose your life. Yep. 100%. Um, okay. This has been a super interesting conversation. Anything that you wanted to talk about or mention that we haven't gotten to yet? No, I don't think okay. so. I just want to know when your emotional neutrality course is coming out now. I think that's ingenious. I love should that. I, should that be my next book? I think that should be. Neutrality. Great. I'll, I'll tell my team. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell everybody where they can find you if they want to learn more about the work that you do, uh, where they can find you on social media, all that. Yeah. So I did used to be called 
intuitively eaten, but I'm not anymore. I changed my handle so I can be a little bit broader with what I'm talking yeah. about. So it's now saskia.rose.car on Instagram. And that's probably the best place to find me. And you have a website? I do, which is saskiacar.com. Okay. So we will include those in the show notes. People go follow Saskia. They're is so much content. I mean, like I've been loving your Instagram content lately. Um, so I highly recommend that to anybody listening and, uh, yeah, it's just been a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. And to anybody out there listening, you know, where to find me is jessienealand.com and at jessienealand on literally all the socials, pretty much you can think of, uh, and YouTube and all of that. So thank you, Saskia. This was awesome. I love that chat. Thank you. All right. Bye.